the dangers and duties of ministers. So we thank you for joining us today. If you're uh, uh, joining us from Facebook or YouTube or on our website, um, we thank you for joining us today or even on our Roku channel. We thank you for joining us today. And um, before we get started, um, anybody that wants to share the live stream, go ahead and share it now. may have to there we go i see it now okay so i'm going to share it uh, on my page may have to there we go i see it now. and then i'm going to share it on a couple of other pages before we actually get started Okay. All right. And before we actually get started, we're going to have a word of prayer. Uh, Jan, you mind praying for us? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you brought us together on your Holy Sabbath day, Lord. We ask now that as we study that your Holy Spirit will be with each of us and enlighten our understanding and our discussion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, thank you all, all of you for joining us today. And, uh, and probably as we go along, uh, more people may jump on, but we'll just continue um, wherever we are, uh, wherever we are when they jump on. And um, let me just get my page loaded up here. So we're studying about the dangers and duties of ministers. Uh, and, um, so, um, Sister White started off this chapter talking about, um, how the work should be done, um, in the areas that I guess have already been sort of primed for the work rather than going into new areas, new and different areas. But she said, you know, that there was a work to be done in new and different areas, but, um, she just started off saying that more work should be done in the areas that had already been primed and were kind of ready for um, the work uh, rather than places where the truth had not yet been proclaimed. And um, she talked about how uh, there was in this first paragraph under, under in chapter 70, she talked about how there was a distant feeling uh, that was manifested among the people of God. And that she said the cross is really not laid right hold of. And, you know, we, we hear all the time that uh, every day we should pray and um, ask and die to self and take up the cross and follow him. And so she's saying that not too many people were laying hold of the cross as it should be and bearing the cross as it should be. And she said that everyone should feel that they are their brother's keeper and that they uh, are uh, to a great degree responsible for the souls of others. And then she said that um, 
the ones that basically have the most influence are going to be those that are of good repute. They, in, what, in other words, they have a good reputation, but also their lives, they're walking in the light that they have. They're not, they're not saying one thing and doing something else. They're walking in the light that they have. And that's going to be the most effective um, witness for the Lord. So then she goes on down in the next paragraph and she starts talking about um, some of the ministers and uh, somebody can somebody look at that and tell me what she said about she's starting to say about the ministers. Um, this is interesting. She says the churches as a general rule are farther advanced than some of the ministers. They have had faith in the testimonies. And I had a question right there. When she say they have had faith in the testimonies, what is she talking about? She's talking about um, these books we're reading or she's talking in general about the prophecies that she was having. Um, does anybody care to answer that? Go ahead. Well, let's, let's, let's take one question at a time. Anybody care to answer that one? Was she talking about the testimonies for the church or was she talking about the testimonies in the Bible, in the word of God? What do you think? And nobody, nobody has a, has an opinion about it. Um, we know that from reading from our reading in this book that very often Sister White met with great resistance. And a lot of times they did not believe the visions. They did not believe her testimony. And so she could very well be talking about um, her testimony and the visions that, that she had and that there were people in the church that were willing to believe them and ready to believe them, but the ministers didn't believe them. Now, we know also that Sometimes the shepherds are a little high and lifted up, whereas the people may be uh, more easily led and more easily uh, uh, fed because they are sheep. They're not the shepherd charged with being over uh, uh, other people. And so she could very well be speaking about the fact that some of these ministers feel like can't nobody tell me nothing, whereas the, the, the um, membership, the members were more readily led by the spirit of God. And she goes on to say, they profess to believe the testimonies. Oh, well, I'm going to finish that sentence. Um, which God has been pleased to give and have acted upon them. Many of the members have um, followed them, and then the pastors didn't, while some of the preachers are far behind. And then she's talking about the preachers. They profess to believe the testimony born, and some do, do harm by making them an iron rule for those who have had no experience in reference to them. But they fail to carry them out themselves. So, and then they make whatever she says like a rule. Everybody else do it, but they're not doing it themselves. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. That that that's very interesting. That uh, that that's what what what's another word for that? <laughs> Hypocrites. Right. <laughs> Hypocrites. And and, I think scoffers. Scoffers right. too. Yeah. And we remember Jesus calling the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites because they said one thing and did something else. So I had a question too. So at this time, did they have a seminary with a formal course of study before they went into the ministry and, you know, had their own church? 
Well, this, I, you know, I don't know at what point in time that she wrote um, this, this particular um, message. So I'm not sure whether or not there was a seminary at that point in time. We know that, that early on, uh, when the church first formed, um, there was not any of that. And so I'm not certain, um, probably would need a little more research to determine when this was written and whether or not, you know, there was a seminary for the, for the ministers to go to, or were they, cause a lot of, a lot of them, them early on were coming out of other churches and coming into the truth. And so, um, I, I'm not sure on that point, Jan. Anybody else have a comment about that? I, I was noticing where it says, and it's right after what you read, I believe, they profess to believe the testimony born. Some do more harm by making them an iron rule for those who have had no experience in reference to them, but fail to carry them out themselves. Uh, sometimes you hear people say, uh, they beat somebody over the head with Sister White, <laughs> so to speak, you know, by pushing the testimonies and the spirit of prophecy writings but these people don't even know who Ellen White is. And so mm. it's kind of uh, kind of understandable that they don't want to hear it because they have no reference to her or her um, status as a prophet of God. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times, um, just in the experience of growing up in the Adventist church and there's revivals and things like that, very often you'll hear them say, don't refer to Ellen White because the people that are coming to the revival don't know who that is and they don't know you know that reference so to speak right mm -hmm. and then they get mad when the people don't want to hear it mm -hmm. uh let's go down to um paragraph 369.3 3. and here she's talking about god's servants which would be the ministers. And she's saying that basically that God is not going to send out anybody that's, that's um, he's not going to send out someone to rescue people from the snares of Satan uh, when they themselves, their feet are entangled in, in Satan's net. And that's very interesting because uh, you know, sometimes you live in a city where there's a church on every street corner and you wonder sometimes what, 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 because the Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. And so <laughs> you wonder sometimes about the ones that have been called, but not chosen. And uh, uh, what kind of life they may be living. And she's speaking to them right now. And she's saying, God is not going to choose. I'm just going to say, choose uh, 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 someone who um, their feet are ensnared. Um and I'm sure, you know, we can recall stories of ministers who have come into the, the news because of their wrongdoing for various reasons. Um, but then she said, well, I kind of went along with what we read this morning in Sabbath school about uh, being committed and actually believe in God, not just a surface belief but mm -hmm. an actual heartfelt, true belief, trusting in him and depending on him. And it says mm -hmm. those who are not prepared to do this 
need to pray for a Holy Spirit power, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of going out trying to witness to others, need to pray for the Spirit of God for yourself first. Let me ask you a question, Laura. Let me just throw this out to the class. Why do you think there are some people that don't have a true connection with God, but they want to lead flocks? They want to they do what? They want to lead the flocks. They want to be over a church. They want to they <laughs> pastor a church. Pride That's and the- prestige and power, um, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you know, self-glorification, yeah. One of the things, too, in our community, the Black community, pastors have always been looked up to, and they get a lot of respect and uh, shown a lot of love. That's one reason a lot of people want to open up a church, just for the adoration and the fanfare, so to speak, and have people looking up to them, as has been mentioned, which is why in a lot of Black communities, you see a church on every corner. You know, mm-hmm. Joe's church, Frederica's church, you just put up a church just because you can, not because God called you. And like you said, uh, many are called, but few are chosen. Then like they say, some just went. A lot of people mm-hmm. just went out there and did mm-hmm. it on their own. Can you think of anybody in the Bible that just went? He wasn't called? Well, Judah wasn't called, was he? Right. No, he was not called. He 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 came himself and offered himself. Absolutely. And we remember uh, uh, him has running with the without the message. One ran without the message and got there and fell out dead. And then the other person with the message showed up. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people running without the true message. Mm. That 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 says a lot right there. <laughs> you run in the race, but you don't have the baton. Um, and then the, in the same chapter, she says, I mean, in this same um, paragraph, she says um, that how can the ones whose feet themselves are sliding, how can they say to those of a fearful heart, be strong? And she says, God basically would have his um, servants to hold up the feeble hands and strengthen the wavering. And she says that those who are not prepared to do this would better first labor for themselves and basically um, get their lives and their hearts right with Christ uh, before going out to labor for anyone else. And that that's good advice, you know. Uh, just across the board, you know, um, if you want, you know, sometimes when you're in business and you, and you, and you start a business from the ground up, you're going to pretty much know every job on the way up because you're the one that formed, formed it. And you're the one that formulated it and you know what it takes at every level of, of, of your company. If it's your company and you started it and, um, that's the same thing that she's basically saying about these ministers is how can you, how can you talk about something or, or influence somebody to do what is good and what is right and you're not doing it yourself. Um, let's go down to um, the next paragraph. And she says in this paragraph that 
that God is displeased with the self-denial of some of the ministers. And she says, they don't have a burden for the work and they seem to be in a death-like stupor and that God's angels are amazed and ashamed at this lack of self-denial and perseverance. And what does she say about Jesus there in the next few few sentences? They would labor and suffering for us. He denied himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whole life was a continued sense of toil and preservation. Privation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she but said all this right. On earth and ease and plenty. Mm-hmm. You know, I wondered about that. Uh with Christ having been the Son of God and on his mission to this earth, he could have passed his days with ease and plenty, knowing his mission. Question? Well, <laughs> and that's a good question. Because he yes, everyone has the power of choice. You know, he was a free agent. He could have chosen, even knowing his mission, he could have chosen to do something different. You know, we how I've been lost. Right. How many, how many uh, examples are in the Bible of people who knew their mission, but they failed to do it? Jonah, no. but he went back. Well, yes, Jonah went back. Yeah. But there were others who, knowing their mission, failed to carry it out to the best of their ability. You know, think uh, about... That, that uh, was talking to the donkey? Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or think about uh, Samson, even. Samson was a, a, a Nazarite, right? And so he was supposed to be a man of exemplary character, but he ended up, um, and he was supposed to be a man. He actually ended up doing what God wanted him to do in the end, which was deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines, but um, that was not the way that God had intended for him to do it. But listen, this your statement, it says in that same paragraph. And now can it be that we, the unworthy objects of so great love, will seek a better position in this life than was given to our Lord? Every moment of our lives, we have been partakers of the blessings of his great love. And for this very reason, we cannot fully realize the depths of ignorance and misery from which we have been saved. Mm-hmm. And we want, we want to live much better than Christ lived. It's always a question oh, when people oh, see that. It's always a question when people see uh, ministers living in big mansions and Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Not that they shouldn't have a decent home, but, you know, when you got three or four mansions and private jets and all that, it makes it uh, a definite contrast to who you're really serving. And there was a case, <clears throat> several cases, where pastors are taking money from their congregation. It's a poor congregation is trying to make it, but they're doing what they think is right by giving to the church. And meanwhile, the pastor's riding around in a Rolls Royce. And asking for a jet from his congregation, remember? Right. But some of that is the people, too. Because the people, we encourage that. You know, I hate to say it. We, we, and I'm going to speak specifically for Seventh-day Adventist folk. We encourage 
this stuff and we was not under this bondage of the pastor's anniversary, his wife anniversary, his birthday, her birthday. We wasn't under that bondage. We put ourselves in that mess. We do that. That's on us, you know, folk wanting to buy and pay for the pastor's vacation when half the church can't afford a vacation. You know, and I'm going to say this, as y'all struck a nerve, and <laughs> instead of the, not only do we offer it, but at some point the pastors need to say, no, thank you. There's nothing wrong with saying no, thank you. There's nothing wrong with returning this stuff to people. It bothers me. It really bothers me that before we can even meet a person, we're talking about uh, providing for their birthday, for their anniversary, for this or for that. That's crazy to me. What about providing for the person who is whose house? I'm gonna go here because I can't. What about providing for members <laughs> whose houses, they may not have paid tithe and offering, but they don't have enough for their rent. What about that? You know, that's just my only personal pet peeve and you guys see it when I'm annoyed and aggravated. This is what I'm like. So I hope that I'm, you know, I hope the Lord is, is not displeased with me. And I don't want to be like negative or anything. But I wish we would just start thinking things all the way through and knowing where our monies need to be put. You know, she's saying here, when we do this kind of stuff, we're actually contributing to the possibility of a person not really making it into heaven because we're feeding into all that pride and, and self-glorification that we're talking about right here. Anyway, I'm you know, I was... to... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jen. Now, I was, I was reading an article, I guess maybe a couple months ago about this pastor of this mega church and his house is over 15,000 square feet and it's just him and his wife, their two kids. And to me, it's excessive, and I know that God blesses us and wants us to have nice things, but it just makes me wonder how sincere he is about being selfless and, you know, the self-denial that comes yeah. with being a pastor. It just, I like I said, it seems excessive to me, but I know God wants us to have good stuff, but it just doesn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's mm -hmm. what the uh, this paragraph's talking about is, the lack of self-denial, the lack of uh, disposition to accept less. And um, as Lakita's saying, it's up to the pastor and the members. The pastor should say, no, that's uh, no thanks. I appreciate the sentiment, but we have more important things to do and let's help some of the poor and needy. And the members also should realize we don't want to contribute to the pastor's pride and ego and cause him to fall either. But when you look on on TV, all the TV preachers, that's what they want. That's exactly why they're into the business because they can, they do, they know that they can get jet planes and big mansions and coastal vacation homes, you know, and it's just sad because people forget that Christ was lowly. There was nothing about him that anybody should admire. He didn't ride in a fancy chariot, had fancy clothes because his mission was to win souls for the kingdom. So we have to ask ourselves, what exactly are some of these pastors' mission? Is it to win souls for the kingdom or to win uh, prizes for themselves, so to speak? 
Mm -hmm. And in the next paragraph, she talks about the fact that the preachers are not all given up to the work of God as he requires them to be. And she says that they, some of them feel that, oh, the preacher's life is too hard because they have to be away from their families. But she points to the fact that many of them do not realize, and I guess this is maybe the second generation of these pastors coming up, because she said many of them do not realize the 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 privation that the that the original uh, organizers, I guess, is what she was referring to, faced, and that um, they have no idea when they you know are complaining about the things and the self denial that uh, came before them, um, what what happened there, and so she's saying that everyone everything has been made ready for the hands of these ministers now and. Uh, who have since embraced the truth, but yet some of them have failed to take upon them the burden of the work, which means that basically, you know, everything is handed to them. They don't have to go out and labor the way their predecessors did. They don't have to go out and, 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 and do some of the things that their predecessors did. And yet they're still um, not taking upon them, shouldering the, the, the work that they should. And um, she said, this earth is not the place of Christians, um, much less for the chosen ministers of God. And they forget that Christ left his riches and glory in heaven and came to earth to die. And that he has commanded us to love one another, even as he has loved us. And so she said, they forget, you know, um, I'm sorry. She said, they forget those of whom the world was not worthy, who wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and were afflicted and tormented. So, so she's saying, you know what? They didn't have to go through torture. They didn't have to go through being persecuted. Everything is handed to them. They get paid a salary every, I'm, I'm assuming, they get paid a salary every month or however often they're paid or whatever. All they have to do is labor for souls and carry the burden of the work. That's all they have to do. They don't, they don't have to be persecuted on top of that and, 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 and all of those things for their faith, at least not at that time anyway. And so um, then she starts talking about the Waldenses. Can somebody tell me about the Waldenses? Uh, before you go there, the, Oh. The paragraph you were on talks about how some of the liberal brethren were laboring for years with shattered nerves, broken down constitution caused by excessive labor to obtain mm -hmm. possessions, to obtain mm -hmm. worldly possessions. But if you read about the early Adventist pioneers, a lot of them ended up struggling and suffering, but it was because they were busy spreading the gospel. They were sacrificing them themselves and their possessions for the gospel message to spread the gospel. So it's kind of a difference. The, uh, the early pioneers struggled. Uh, some of them ended up with illness and whatever, or poverty, but it's a different reason than these uh, liberal brethren who were laboring for possessions. Same effects later, but for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's move on. Uh, Somebody tell me about the Waldenses. Well, they were being uh, persecuted and um, their houses, was, their stuff was being taken for the, for the truth, for, for what they believed. And then they ended up living in the, um, 
in the mountains and in the caves and it's cold outside and they were, you know, starving. And um, even some of the children died as a, as a result of the cold, but they would not give up their belief for the Lord. And that really shows you, you know, I'm going to speak for me personally. It shows me how little I give up for Christ. You know, well, you would think that me personally, I would think, man, it's really cold out here. I'm watching my child die. I don't think God wants me to do this. I think I better go back to the, to the uh, cabin so that my child can live. I mean, that would be a logical belief, you know, but they, mm -hmm. um, but they suffered all of that because of what they believe. And we're not- And do, really you, do you, let me ask you a question. We're encouraged, we're encouraged by the next- say, Raise your hand, you. whoever wants to speak. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> The next sentence, after all the hardships, the coldness, the nakedness, the houses burned, everything taken, and yet the scattered and homeless ones would assemble to unite their voices in singing and praising mm -hmm. God that mm -hmm. they were accounted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. They encouraged and cheered one another, and they mm -hmm. were grateful for even miserable, being able to live out in the cold in the mountains. They were grateful. Right. So let, let, me throw out a, let me throw out a question to the class. When was the last time you either heard or gave a testimony that you praise God for your sufferings and your hardships? I don't think so. <laughs> I can't I, I can't remember one. Mostly we praise him and we thank him for those unexpected blessings or those ones, those blessings we prayed for, even expected ones. I don't remember anyone praising him for the hardships and the persecution and those things that have that have come upon them. And it, it even says they they encouraged and cheered one another and were grateful for their miserable retreats. And 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 and, and it goes on to say that many of their children died, got sick and died from cold and hunger, but as you said. Uh, that they they refuse to denounce God, and uh, we heard a sermon today about uh, wanting to return to Egypt. Some of them, I suppose, could have denounced God and returned to Egypt, but they chose not to. And um, just like Moses, they chose not to return to Egypt. And you know, uh, Karen, this says another thing that we, again, logic would say. Don't let your children die in this cold, you know. Just go back and, and quietly worship God, you know. But we have an idea of what the answers to our prayers should be. And then we, you know, we're distressed when it's not what we expect it to be. And we give up. I'm not going to say give up on God, but give up on the hope, you know, that, that we had. Our lights don't burn as bright. And stuff, but here these people were. All this stuff was going on and happened to them, and they still believe so much in God. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I think it's uh, James that says, "In everything, give thanks." But it's hard for us to do that because we think many times that we deserve something or that we're owed this or we worked hard for this. But there are so many people suffering around the world that if you pay attention to other, something other than yourself and look at what's happening to other people in distant countries or around the globe, 
who are really suffering and struggling, you will be thankful for what we have here in America because we have truly been blessed by God. And uh, what we tend to look at is what we don't have instead of what we do have. If you know that many people around the globe are in refugee camps, they don't have food, they don't have clean water, you know, and here we complain because our favorite bottled water is not in the store right at the moment. So we really need to thank God for everything we have and everything we do not have. Show a little gratefulness. Right, right. And when you see the deprivations that some people had to go through that became martyrs, um, you know, you really have to um, question your own faith and say, if I was, if I was uh, in, a, in a coliseum and my choice was to either denounce God or see my children or grandchildren torn to pieces by lions, would you stand firm? I don't would think you, you know at this problem? point what you would do. Mm. I don't think any of the uh, martyrs planned that morning to get up and die for Christ, but they were so in love with him and so in tune with him that it didn't matter, you know, when that choice came to them, they, God gave them strength to make that decision. Mm -hmm. So right now we couldn't just sit here and say, yeah, I do it because you don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. And when we so think about them, time of trouble that's coming upon us, some of us might be faced with that very same decision to have to make. Mm. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, so the ne next she talks about Martin Luther and um, she talks about how he basically came up against the then ruling church at the time and um, what does she say about his faith in God? He counted not his life dear to him. Luther knew that he was not safe anywhere, yet he trembled not. The light which he saw and feasted upon was life to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was he what was he challenging about the, the, the Catholic Church? What was he challenging? All the lies they were telling. <laughs> what he what thing he challenged was that they... Go ahead. All the people they killed in his name. Uh, and he her challenged... Go ahead. Were you finished, Alvina? I was saying, what would the, he challenge the Catholic Church about? What was the question? Mm -hmm. Yes. What were some of the things that he challenged about the Catholic Church? What would he do now? Like, no. What were some of what were some of their theories and practices that he challenged? Well, one thing he challenged was that they were um, not allowing people to have the Bible for themselves, and he okay. felt that that was wrong. And I'm not for sure, but he, he nailed those 16... 95. 95. Yeah. What, what, what were they called? 90, thesis. 95, 95 thesis. I thought it was 97 theses. Um, it could be. Don't quote me on it. But yeah, it was 90-something. Yeah. And he spoke against indulgences, people being able to buy repentance. 
And he and he spoke against the fact that he spoke against the fact that a man could forgive sins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was ninety five. Okay. And um, so it she talks about when he was um. Was somebody saying something? She talks about when he was in Augsburg and how he um, had to speak with um, priests and um, higher ups in the church. And um, she talked about how he, he, his demeanor was undaunted and how the truth, he spoke with such an eloquence that only the truth can inspire and he gave the reasons for his faith and that his enemies tried in various ways to silence him. But, um, and she says, she says that they tried a couple of things with him. What did, what did, what does she say they tried with him first? first of course, they, they always try to flatter you. Flatter. Right, uh-huh, they tried to flatter him. Now, how would flattering him get him to denounce the truth? Well, some people like flattery. Nobody ever died from being flattered. But, you know, sometimes you like it and you start feeling important and start feeling like, oh, they finally recognize who I am now. So, you know, so you get that ego involved in pride. And they also held out the promise that he should be exalted and honored, but he wasn't looking for life honors. They were valueless to him, it says. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Have you ever had something offered to you that didn't mean anything to you? So you said, oh, well, no, thank you. <laughs> and then what was the second thing that uh, they tried to do? Once, once they figured out that flattery would get them nowhere, what did they try to do then? Uh, that was what Jan's mom said, exalted and uh, tried to say he would be exalted and honored. Well, that was part of flattery, but what was the second thing that they did when they when they figured out that that tactic didn't work? What was the next tactic they tried? They sought to intimidate, intimidate him. him. Right, they sought to intimidate oh, him and cause and cause him to renounce his faith. But what did he do? Boldly stood. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right, in defense of the truth, and he and and. and Right. And she says he was ready to die for his faith if it came down to that. You know, uh, it sounds like uh, what was it? What was it that the Hebrew, the three Hebrew boys said in the fiery furnace? That our God was, can save us. But if not, we still not right. going to bow down. Right. Even if he doesn't, which means they were ready to die for their faith if it came down to that. And God saved them because of that because their faith was unwavering. And the lesson of Job, where he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Mm-hmm, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And then uh, she goes on to talk about how, um, she says it, it, in the next paragraph, she says, he knew that his powerful enemies would take any measures to silence him. And they were bloodthirsty. They wanted his blood just like the Jews wanted the blood of, of Jesus. But he trusted 
that God who preserved the, the, the three Hebrew boys uh, would also um, care for him. And uh, he didn't seek his own ease, just like Jesus didn't seek his own ease. He didn't seek his own ease. Uh, but his great anxiety was that the truth to him so precious should not be exposed to the insults of the ungodly. And he was ready to die rather than allow its enemies to triumph. Now, just imagine, just imagine, what if he had denounced the, what if he had denounced the truth? What if Jesus had in the temptation in the wilderness, given into any of the temptations of Satan, where would truth be? Oh, it would not have progressed. If he if right. he would have given it to me, and if he would have given in, then everything would have stayed the same. Mm -hmm. It would have been for naught. We would have no hope of salvation if Jesus had given in. Yeah. Uh, and then she goes on to talk about um, when he was at the Council of Worms. And she says that um, at that time that, that he was in feeble health and many of his friends warned him not to go. But what did he do? He went anyway. He went anyway, didn't he? And he knew that they were crying for his blood. And he knew that it he was not safe anywhere. He was like, what? Right. <laughs> right. And what happened at the Council of Worms? God spoke through him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they and couldn't almost, do anything about it. Right. Right. They couldn't do anything about it. Silenced his enemies and 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 they didn't know they didn't know what to do. And 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 he achieved a decided victory there over the papacy at that point in time because um he spoke the truth, it was unwavering, and he he put his trust in, in the Lord. He put his trust in God and says his words were spoken with such majesty and power that his enemies could do nothing against him. And that um, God had said, brought together. I'm sorry. I'm reading one. It said the calm bearing of Luther was in striking contrast to the passion and the rage exhibited by those so-called great men. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, it says that they could not frighten him into recanting the truth. And it says that the opposition of his enemies, their rage and threats, were like a mighty wave surging against him and broke harmless at his feet. And he remained unmoved. That is, that is, the, that is the God that we serve. That even when there are angry wolves or hungry lions all around you, that God is able to protect and provide. And well, he's able to one of the things we have to remember too is when we get into discussions about Bible truth, that it's God's word that we're standing on, not our own knowledge and not our own intelligence. And sometimes you see people get into arguments about the scriptures and almost come to blows. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're called to just in noble simplicity and calm firmness, 
stand on the word of God, not on our own power of persuasion, not on our own debating ability, so that we don't end up like uh, these people raging and uh, out of control trying to kill somebody. But just know that thus saith the Lord, his word stands for itself. We don't have to make anybody believe it. We can't make anybody believe it. All we can do is uh, give a firm, thus saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then she goes on to kind of um, compare the ministers of our time and our day with those uh, great uh, leading men of the Reformation. And she says that, uh, and, and when placed beside Luther's devoted, zealous life, that that these pastors were um, in, in not, not held up in a good light next to, next to him. And she says that Luther encountered, Martin Luther encountered trials and sacrifices and at times suffered the deepest anguish of soul while standing in defense of the truth. Yet he murmured not. He was hunted like a wild beast of prey, yet for Christ's sake, he endured all of this cheerfully. And so that's an important message, not just to the ministers of our time, because we know that all who live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution. Absolutely. And so um, that's a message to keep in mind that if we are living godly in Christ Jesus, when we suffer persecution, that Christ, Christ has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And so we can, we can rejoice that we are even granted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. I was especially impressed with the section in paragraph 374-1 where it says, he became sad, uh, perils in every form were presented before him, clouds gathered around him, and hid from him the face of God. Mm. Reminded me of Christ when he was on the mm -hmm. cross. My God, my God, why mm -hmm. has thou forsaken me? Sometimes we can get to the point to feel like we might have been forsaken, but we should mm -hmm. always keep the God is always mm -hmm. there and he's always there for us if we are in the right for him. Right, absolutely. And 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 even when that happens, God has a purpose for for that. And so we just have to trust him where we cannot trace him. And we have to know that all things work together for the good. Those that are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, she talks about down in paragraph 375.3 near the bottom. She says that God is displeased with preachers who now complain and fail to throw their whole energies into this all-important work. They are without excuse, excuse, yet some are deceived and think that they are sacrificing much and are having a hard time when they really know nothing about suffering, self-denial, or want. And when we compare some of the things now that, that possibly preachers complain about to the things that Martin Luther went through or the Waldenses went through. It's just really, or even Christ himself went through. There is just no comparison. And so we really have no reason to complain at this point. Um, pastors don't have a reason to complain. We don't have a reason to complain. And the, and the thing about it is Jesus said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, 
He said, when you go through the, the, the rivers, I'll be with you. When you, go, uh, when you go through the water, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overtake you. When you go through the fire, um, it will not harm you nor even kindle on you. And so we really have no reason, if we're claiming the promises of Christ, we really have no reason to be complaining about anything. And uh, she says in the next paragraph that some of them have said, well, you know what? I'm not going to do this work anymore. Some of the ministers, I'm not going to do this work anymore. I'm just, I'd rather just go labor with my hands. But she says that, you know, they really don't realize um, that laboring with their hands is not going to get them the, the, the ease of time that, they, that they're looking for anyway. Because she said that a lot of laborers they get very little time with their families. Whereas the ministers are complaining about the spiritual labor that they're doing. They're not doing physical labor, but they're complaining about the spiritual laboring that they're doing and laboring for souls. And um, she's really saying that there's, they really don't know what they're talking about when they say that. I would just, well, I'll just rather go get a job, a regular job. And they don't know what they're talking about. We have actually heard of ministers saying that, you know, that. Uh, the plan of systematic benevolence is more than enough when followed by the church family to take care of all the ministers and their needs. Uh, but some ministers still say, like you said, oh, I'm going to go get a second job or my wife has a great job, so I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. And it makes you wonder were they called and chosen or were they one the ones that just went? Because mm -hmm. if you really have a burden for souls, you should be willing to sacrifice for the cause of God especially mm -hmm. if you are called as a minister, your duty is, has, has a higher responsibility, you know, and God is, is that last sentence says, heaven is insulted by such an exhibition of weakness and lack of devotion to the cause of God. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and then, the, has, go ahead, I'm sorry. God has marked every murmuring thought and word and feeling. So it's on record in heaven when we murmur against what God wants us to do. Not only the Amen. ministers, us too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. And and Satan is pleased when we when we exhibit that complaining spirit and we complain about this or that or the other. He's very pleased when we do that. But God is very displeased when we do that. And it says it says Heaven is insulted by such an exhibition of weakness and lack of devotion to the cause of God. And then she goes on in the next paragraph to talk about how some have been lending their ear to the tempter. And so they talked about their unbelief. And by talking about their unbelief, they wound the cause of God. And then she says Satan has claims upon them and they have not recovered themselves from his snare. So they have conducted themselves like children who were wholly unacquainted with the wiles of the tempter. And that even though they've had sufficient experience and should know and understand his workings, it says that he has suggested doubts to their minds. And instead of repelling these doubts at once, they have reasoned and parlayed with the arch deceiver and listened to his reasonings as though charmed by the old serpent. And so as a result of that, she says that they have led others and, and especially those of, 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 of weaker minds or lesser faith 
to um, follow their course of disbelief and unbelief. And um, she says that they have suffered their unbelief to be clouded the harmonious, glorious chain of truth and have acted as though it was their business to solve every difficult passage of scripture. And she's talking there about when uh, they don't understand every passage of scripture. So therefore it leaves room for doubt or they, they start doubting the word of God as a result of that. Um, but we know that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so um, God has a time and a season for everything. And even though we're, we're living in the last days and even though we know that um, God requires us to study the Bible as if we're digging for hidden gems, that everything might not re be revealed to us at the time that we think it should be or in the manner or way that we think it should be. And so she's saying that these ministers are using that as a reason for doubt and doubting the, the, the word of God because they don't understand a particular passage or a particular scripture. And she says that, uh, skipping down to paragraph 377.3, she says, Basically, that she was shown that those who are troubled with doubts and infidelity should not go out to labor for the souls of others. And that that which is in the mind must flow out. And they realize not the effect of even a, a, a hit of the smallest doubt that they express. And then Satan uses those doubts as a barbed arrow. And it acts like a slow poison. Um, which before the victim is, is made sensible of his danger affects the whole system and undermines a good constitution and finally causes death. You know, that's a, that's a picture that she paints there of, of you ever, you ever watch the, um, some of the animal planet shows or some of those kind of shows and, and they're trying to, to dart one of the, the animals on the, let's just say in the, in the animal, animal preserve with the um, tranquilizer, the animal doesn't even know what's coming. And before you know it, it's stumbling and falling to the ground. And, and then it uh, wakes up wondering what happened. Right, <laughs> right, uh-huh. It runs off and, and she's saying that now in that particular case, um, it's not poison that we're giving the animals, but she's definitely saying that the doubt of the ministers is poison. And um, that Satan uses it to, to um, spread unbelief. And it's really like that too, when the devil tricks you into falling for one of his plans, you, like you said, you don't know what's coming. The next thing you know, you're tranquilized and doing the wrong things. And then again, you wake up and don't, know, don't realize what happened or wonder what happened. How could I have fallen? How, could, how did I allow that to happen or whatever? Because the devil loves you to sleep and we have to keep our eyes stayed on Jesus and pray for a divine power to resist his tricks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, she says that the result of, of, of the minister casting that kind of doubt and Satan using it as a poisonous dart. And it says that, that as though the minister had found some wonderful mystery which had been hid from believers and the holy in every age of the world, he cast midnight darkness 
into other minds. What 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 is what do you think midnight darkness means? Super dark. At its darkest point. Mm. So it's not it's not uh it's not dusk dark. No, it's it's dark dark. Mm. It's not any light shining. Mm -hmm. It's not, not any light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And because of the light of truth cannot shine through, it's been perverted. Mm -hmm. Amen. Absolutely. And, and, and it's going to be harder for those in midnight darkness to find their way to the light than someone who is suffering a little bit of darkness, or suffering in, in the case of a little bit of darkness, like at dusk, when it first starts to turn dark, you know? Have you ever uh, been trying to do something or trying to get something done and you have to do it outside? And you said, well, I'm planning to get out there before it turns dark. And even, and you might even, it might even be like right before dusk. And you, and so you said, well, okay, let me get on out there and get that done. Because once it gets dark, you're not going to be able to do it. Uh, let's say you, let's say you drop something in the grass. Are you going to go out there after it gets dark looking for it without a flashlight at least anyway? <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're going to try to get out there during the day or at least wait until the next morning or whatever to look for it um so that you have more light to work with um and then um she says down in the next paragraph she said that Which the devil's doing uh paragraph uh 378.1 and she said that the devil is doing a cunning work. And she said, she said, those who are troubled with doubts and have difficulties which they cannot solve should not throw other weak minds into the same perplexity. And she says, some have hinted or talked of their unbelief and have passed on little dreaming of the effect that was produced. And in some instances, the seeds of unbelief have taken immediate effect while in others they have lay buried for quite a long time until the individual has taken a wrong course and given a place to the enemy and the light of God has been withdrawn from him and he has fallen under the powerful temptations of Satan. Then seeds of infidelity, which were sown so long ago, spring up. Satan nourishes them and they bear fruit. You know, that makes me think about, uh, you ever downloaded or well, have you ever, either you downloaded it or a program was downloaded onto your computer and it just wasn't, uh, you didn't, you didn't uh, install it at that time? But later on, when you're trying to do something else, then this, this thing starts installing. And I think about it that way with Satan's that, especially in the case of the latter one, where the, the effect of the unbelief didn't take, didn't take effect right away. But later on, as some other things came into play, um, that particular thing installed, I'm just gonna put it like that in terms of computer terms, it installed and, um, and then, what you had was maybe a rogue program on your computer, one that locked up your whole computer and wouldn't allow you to do anything. One of the, one of the things that's interesting too is uh, Lakita always says that a lie would go all the way around the block while the truth is just putting his shoes on. So many uh -huh. times people, many times people get into the unbelief or believing false doctrines 
then they want to share it with everybody. Whereas mm-hmm. when you have the truth, you are mm-hmm. afraid, oh, I don't want to insult nobody. Oh, I don't want to mm-hmm. say too much. But when a person has false beliefs and unbeliefs that the devil has gotten them to believe, they're real quick about spreading that around. It's like misery loves company. And then it says in the next paragraph, that's one of the worst things in God's sight is that not only did you disbelieve and follow the devil, but then you go getting other people to do it. So now mm-hmm. the devil is using you as one of his helpers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what's interesting? The Lord said, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, the enemy is, is he, 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 he knows what works. And he knows, and he also wants to make disciples. And he uses um, the the tear and the goats to make disciples for him and for his causes. And so, absolutely, um, he he uses he uses the same tactics, just not for the same reason that the Lord does, because he knows they work. And then she says. Um, Let's see. Uh, down at the bottom of paragraph 379.1, she says, some ministers as well as people need converting. They need to be torn to pieces and made over new. That really, that really jumped out at me. It's like torn to pieces and made over, torn to pieces. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and she says their work among the churches is worse than lost. And in their present weak, tottering condition, it would be more pleasing to God for them to cease their efforts to help others and labor with their hands until they are converted. And then they could strengthen the brethren. Mm. So I don't know exactly what she means by being torn to pieces, but um, basically she's saying, go do something else right now because you're a hindrance to the cause. And and, um, so, you know, go somewhere else, do something else right now until you are converted. Do you remember in the Bible when after uh, after um, uh, it was Peter had denied Christ and uh, then he said when he was resurrected, he said, when you are converted, then go and strengthen your brethren. And he said it to him three times. When you are converted, go and strengthen your brethren. When you are converted, than your brother don't go before that let me make it perfectly clear do not go before that that time you know and so she's she's giving the same admonition here don't don't go and try to lead the flock until you are converted and then let's see um down in the next paragraph and i underlined this for some reason she says that ministers must arouse. They profess to be generals in the army of the great king and at the same time are sympathizers with the great, oh, I know why I underlined this. Uh, you all will see in a minute. Um, they profess to be generals in the army of the great king and at the same time are sympathizers with the great rebel leader and his host. Some have exposed the cause of God and the sacred truths of his word to the reproaches of the rebel host. They have removed a portion of their armor and Satan has hurled in his poisoned arrows and they have strengthened the hands of the rebel leaders and weakened themselves and caused Satan and his hellish clan 
to rear their heads in triumph and exult on account of the victory they have let him gain. What does that remind you of? Something we read about recently in Testimonies for the Church, uh, dealing with the Civil War. Oh, yeah. How the North was... Um... Hold on. How, hold on for a moment. Undermining it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how the North, there was, I was thinking about this this week, how the North would not receive um, messages from, from some of the people because they were Black people. And so mm-hmm. they were, they could have easily won at times, but because the message came to a Black person, they refused to hear it. So how they were right. undermining their own success. Right. And also because many of them sympathize with the South. Mm-hmm. And so they were, they were rooting for the South and how many of the the uh, the the uh, generals in the northern army would not even go help one another because they didn't yeah. want the other person to get the get the uh, what is it right get the right get the glory for for anything <laughs> they didn't want to, so 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 they would rather sacrifice all of these and a lot of them were young boys because at that time there was no age restriction on who could join so you had twelve year olds and fourteen year olds in the armies. Because they, they had some notion of glory or that they would, we're going to beat these Yankees and then we're going to be right back home again, you know? And the truth is, there's still a lot of people sympathizing with the South, the old South. Even now, yep. people claim they want a right. United States of America, and yet they embrace the old Southern uh, principles and, com- and sympathize with the Confederacy. Right, right. You can't be Absolutely. on both sides. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that just reminded me of, of uh, when we read about that and about the Civil War. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's go down to uh, paragraph 380.2. And she says that uh, at the top of that paragraph, she says that the success of a minister depends much upon his deportment out of the desk. And when he ceases preaching and leaves the desk, his work is not finished. It is only commenced. And he must then carry out what he has preached. So she's saying, you know what? You get in the pulpit and you say one thing, but now you gotta live it out in your life. You gotta be the example. You can't be saying one thing in the pulpit and then people see you doing something else. And you know, we have heard of and especially a lot of these mega churches, we have heard of a lot of their preachers being taken down because of the mess they were doing outside the pulpit. Well, not yeah. just the mega preachers. I think we all know people personally well, right. that has happened to. And in fact, uh, the people may, as I just said, do a great job preaching, but then their lifestyle leads some of the members to not get as close to Christ as they could because they look at the preacher and say, well, he does it, so it must not be that bad. So their their personal influence is more taking more uh, presidents than what they're saying in the pulpit. So again, mm-hmm. we have to be careful that we're not only preaching a sermon, but living a sermon. Right. And she mentions one thing about um, the minister's response to a lot of women, young women up in their faces, Y'all, a lot of young ministers, whether they were married or not married, uh, a lot of women up in their faces 
and and how they needed to be more guarded and that um it says they should use no lightness of speech jesting or joking and that um these young ministers um needed to put put a, away from them basically immediately um this this I, I'm just going to say flirtatiousness and attention coming from some of these young women. And it says that they should shun the very appearance of evil when these women are, and she calls it, she terms it sociable, you know, uh, laughing and giggling in their faces is what I, I, I'm going to just say, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, flattering them, I guess, with the attention. And she says, and of course, the of course, hopefully the young ladies wouldn't do it. In this case, it's talking about young ladies, but the same thing with young men too. The young mm -hmm. ladies shouldn't do it, but then it says the burden rests upon the minister because they have a higher calling and more responsibility and are probably supposed to be more mature. And if, mm -hmm. like you say about people gossiping, if someone keeps coming to you a gossip, you need to tell them you don't wanna hear it and to stop it, it's on you to stop mm -hmm. it. And when you do stop it, they won't come back to you. So if you tell, if the minister would say to the young ladies, hey, this isn't right, don't come to me like that, I'm the pastor, whatever, whatever, they won't do it again. Mm -hmm. But if they're not stepping up and saying it and they're right. grinning and smiling, well, they're gonna right. keep coming because right. who doesn't right. want attention? Right, right, absolutely. And, um. So it says that, you know, at the, the last paragraph, she says ministers should follow up their public labors by private efforts, laboring personally for souls whenever there is an opportunity and conversing around the fireside and entreating souls to seek for those things which make for their peace. So basically she's saying, basically ministers should not just be uh, preachers, but they should also be personable and they should also be visiting their, their members and basically talking with them and I guess, you know, visiting the sick when they're sick, that kind of thing. So that, that's what um, they call being a pastor. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. You know what, Karen, when we uh -huh. look at um, Jesus' life and, and even Sister White's life, when we look at their lives, when we look at Jesus especially, he, everything he did was for the salvation of of uh, souls mm -hmm. and we're supposed to be like him. And so we're, you know, I know me, I'm just not nowhere near all of the work that he put in and all of the effort that God put in to bring people to Christ. You know, the times he spent, I was thinking one day um, I read where he was trying to get a, west, a way to go and rest. But when he got to where he was going, you know, in the boat to the other side, the people met him on the other side. And I was thinking if it was me, I, I would be like, look, I, I got to go sit down somewhere. You guys need to go back. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. He went ahead and ministered to those people and took mm -hmm. care of those people and stuff. That's just really profound how much, you know, he dedicated himself to mm -hmm. us. You know? And I, I would, I would I, and, and I agree with that. And I guess I would add to that, that he led a life that in every aspect of it, he was looking to glorify the father, mm -hmm. you know? And so even like when he was working as a carpenter, he was looking to glorify his father in his daily life and in his, in his career, 
you know, um, when he was at home with his parents and with his siblings, he was looking to do the, the, the mundane routine tasks of the household in a manner that glorified the father, you know? And so it's not necessarily that, 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 because he didn't begin his public ministry until he was 33, but all the way up until that time, he was a living example of how we should be, you know, always seeking to glorify the father. Which is where you get the verse, whatsoever you do, uh-huh. whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, we're going to close there. We're at the end of the chapter. And um, Lee, what is our our study for next week? Uh, last week we did chapter 17, the seven last plagues and the wicked. And this coming week we're on chapter 18, the seven last plagues and the righteous. So we're going to mm. see how the seven last plagues affect both groups of people, the wicked and then this week, the righteous. And that's the book, The Last, Last Day Events by Ellen White. Okay, okay. Um, do we have any prayer requests before we close out with prayer? Yes, I always want uh, prayer for my family, prayer for the church family, prayer for our pandemic, you know, for the uh, leaders of the country. And um, that we all will live a life like Jesus. That's what I really want to do is do what God tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Pray for the peace of God to rest, rule, and abide in each of our hearts. Mm-hmm. I've been praying for wisdom and understanding, a clean heart and a right spirit. Mm-hmm. Pray for my family and my nephew's mother, my nephews too, just my whole family. Thanks. Okay. And, and my prayer would be for God to reveal his presence in the lives of each of my family members, as well as all of us on, on, uh, in the class and our families, that he would reveal his presence. Because one of the things that, that we learned from the Sabbath school lesson today is that just being in the presence of Jesus changes us, potentially changes us. And so, uh, uh, my prayer is just that, you know, that he that he come and that he draw near to us so that we are continually in his presence and thereby become changed. Um, Lee, you mind offering closing prayer for us? <clears throat> OK, dear father, we thank you so much for this privilege that we've had of studying your testimonies, the word from your prophetess. We ask and pray that the words will sink into our minds and our hearts, dear Lord, that we may draw closer to thee. Father, you know the hearts of each person on this call and around the globe who are listening in. You know everything that we need to be saved, dear Lord. You know our wants, you know our desires, you know our prayers for our family, our friends, our loved ones, our church family, for good health, for financial uh, profitability. We ask and pray, dear Lord, that you will look down upon us. Have mercy, Jesus. We can do nothing without you, and we're asking now that you will Allow your divine blessings to fall down upon each one of us, in particular with those things that we stand in need of most for salvation. We ask and pray that you allow us, dear Lord, to be spokespersons for you, ambassadors for Christ, speaking word in due season. Give us the heart of Jesus, dear Lord, heart of compassion, 
a heart of love, a heart of concern, a heart of genuine resolve to see others, other souls saved in your blessed kingdom. Continue to watch over us throughout this coming week. We ask and pray for your Holy Spirit's presence in, within us, dear Lord, that it may shine out in good works to others, that, we may, that they may glorify our Father in heaven. These things we ask and pray in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you all and everyone online for joining us today for the lesson study. We will be back again next week at 2.30 p.m. Central Time. All right. Tune in for prayer meeting Wednesday.